Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. I'm speaking from the subject, The Showdown, today. I've, I've been speaking the past few weeks about this story of Ahab versus the false prophets of Baal. And today, I want to continue this subject as we begin to take a look at the final foundational stones that I believe should be put into the life of every Christian. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30, the Bible tells this great story of Elijah facing down the false prophets of Baal. They screamed and they shouted and they worshiped their God, asking for a response from their God, Baal, over the sacrifice on the altar that they built. For hours and hours, the prophets of Baal that represented the wicked queen Jezebel, who were trying to lead the people of Israel away from God towards their false ideology, they shouted and they worshipped. But the Bible says, after all of their persistence, there was no response from their God. Now it came time for Elijah to call upon his God, Jehovah, the one true God. But before he did, he made some very crucial steps that I believe will speak to us. Then Elijah, he spoke to all the people and he said, come near to me. I believe right now is a moment where God is calling you to come close to him, to come into his presence, to hear his voice. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. See, the problem was at that time, as the people went into false idolatry, they allowed the altar of the Lord, the place of worship, the monument to God's greatness, the boundary marker that declared that land and those people to come before that one God, they allowed it to fall into neglect. They cast it down. They tossed it aside. The God that pulled them out of Egypt, the God that walked them through the Red Sea, the God that brought them into the promised land now has been forgotten, has been moved away from by the people that he has done everything to bring close to him. The altar represents that place of worship where there's a connection with the creator, with the almighty, and it had been neglected by his creation. And so now Elijah says, I'm going to repair this. Before we can worship, we need to reconsecrate. Hear me, this is what's happening today. This is the day and the hour that we live in, that we, God's people have fallen away from the one true God. The Bible says all have fallen short, that all have sinned, that there is no righteous, no, not one. All of our living, all of our worship is coming back to that place of our first love, that first experience, that first touch of God. All of it is repairing the altar, that we would be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Hear me, this is not just an ancient story, this is a relevant story. And I'm speaking to you, maybe you have neglected that beautiful relationship you once had. Maybe you've neglected some foundational truths and you've allowed a lie to come in. You've allowed shame to come in, guilt. You've allowed distance to become between you and God and now there's distortion between you and God. Today is the day that you draw near to God. You repair the altar. You put those foundational stones of truth back into their proper place and then begin to worship. So Elijah took 12 stones. That number is critical, representing the children of Israel, the different tribes, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. Israel means to wrestle with God. The reality is worship sometimes isn't the simplest things. Sometimes it doesn't come naturally. Sometimes there's things that you're going to have to wrestle with. But I'm telling you, come back to the place of God. Draw near to the voice of God. Put the truths of God back in their proper place and lock into God. Even if it's difficult, keep pressing. Keep pushing because God has not abandoned nor has he forgotten you. He is calling you to himself. Israel shall be your name. And with these stones, he built an altar to the name of the Lord. What am I saying to you today, Awakening? I'm saying it is time to rebuild the altar of your heart so that sacrifice of worship, a sacrifice of praise can emanate from your being. Rebuild that holy place. Go back to the secret place. Come back to the place where truth, holiness, worship 
rests in your life towards God. What am I speaking about today? I'm speaking about these foundational truths. Today I'm calling them the essentials. What are the essential truths, the essential values, the essential set of beliefs that you need to have in your life to produce worship, holy and acceptable worship? What are the essentials to us as a church? Part of the past few weeks, we've been rebuilding the altar, and every stone that we have put in place, I believe, is an essential of truth that will lead us towards holy lives, relationship with God, friendship with God. But before we can call on God, we need to reconsecrate ourselves to God. What are the essentials in your life? What are the essentials for us as a church? It's interesting how tragedy always seems to clarify what's valuable. When we go through difficulty, it always brings into focus the things that truly matter. It's not until your home is on fire, then it's not until your home catches on fire in that moment you really know what's essential. If you're going to go back in, you're not going to be grabbing the TV. Hope not. You're going to be looking for the things that are of the utmost value because tragedy clarifies what's essential. Right now the world is going through tragedy and in layers of tragedy. But I pray in this moment it clarifies that these trials and tribulations clarify what is essential to us as Christians. What is essential to us as a church, as the saints and the believers in the Almighty. What matters? What's everything? What do we hold fast to? What do we cling to? What do we, what do we hold on to despite anything going on? What is what we establish our lives on? What are the foundational stones of truth? Spiritual foundation. What is it in your life? I believe that God has spoken it to me to speak to you, to us as a church. A couple weeks ago I spoke that first and foremost, the first spiritual stone of foundation is Jesus. We believe Jesus is the chief cornerstone of all of creation. That Jesus gives us his spirit. And the spirit is our encourager. He is our guide. And he leads us into all truth. And truth is found in the word of God. These are the essentials. These are the sacred stones that should be in the altar of our life. It is the word of God that sets our moral framework. We don't live by happenstance or circumstance, but we live by the word of God. It is the light unto our path. The word of God displays that we do have a creator and he spoke creation into being and life came from that creator and it is valuable and holy because the source of that life and that God has given us this life to be enjoyed and he looks down upon that life and he sees that Adam is alone and God says it's not good that you're alone. I want you to hear me. God does not want you to have to live your life in loneliness, not just towards your fellow man, but towards him. It's not good that you are disconnected from God and others. So what did God bring to Adam and Eve but marriage? And through marriage, family, so that there can be fulfillment and heritage and lineage and holiness and that God could bring health into your life and into your home. These are the first seven foundation stones. But today I want to give you the final five. And the first one I want to begin on, number eight, is the stone, the holy stone to repair the altar of your life in this church, the stone of doctrine. The stone of doctrine. Doctrine is a system of beliefs. John chapter 8, verse 31 says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. But look at that qualifier. If you hold to my teachings. Not if you know my teachings. Not if you've heard my teachings, but if you hold to my teachings, then you really are my disciples. See, good doctrine creates good disciples. Jesus is saying, I want you to hold to my teachings. In other words, that means you have to know his teachings. You have to be inspired by his teachings. You have to be clear on what are his teachings in a world full of noise and opinion. In a world full of news. In a world full of people telling you who to be and what to do and what to believe, do you know his teachings? Are you holding to his teachings? I love when Paul says to young Timothy, you have many teachers, but very few fathers. Can I update that for you? 
Listen, you have many influencers, but very few leaders. You have many people that want to push you in a certain direction, talk at you, many people that want you to buy into what they're selling, but you have few people that will lead you towards God. You have few people that will father you in the faith. See, doctrine, doctrine is essential so that you will be able to know whom you believe. See, in order to know, uh, in order to know whom you believe, you must understand what you believe. In order to know Jesus, you must know his teachings. You cannot separate the man from what he spoke, what he commanded. You cannot separate him as an idea or an ideal. He's more than that. He says, my disciples, they know my commands. They obey my commands. They cling to my commands. Hear me. You need good doctrine in your life. You need good doctrine in your life because you will know Jesus through his teachings. Let me say that again. You will know Jesus through his teachings. Listen, a spiritual, a spiritual experience must rest on foundational truths. We live in a generation that values spiritualism, values spiritual experiences. And there's something to that, but hear me, visions and dreams and spiritual experiences, moments, can never replace the teachings of God. They can only and must only rest on the teachings of God. What am I saying? I'm saying I hope you are a spiritual person. And I hope you have real experiences with God, but you must check those visions and dreams against the word of God to realize if they were from God or from something you ate last night. If they were from God or from, from some strange spirit. Because fear communicates as much as faith communicates. The spirit of fear wants to speak to you as much as the spirit of faith wants to speak to you. So you can't live by experience. You can't live by emotion. And listen, you can't live by a worship moment a vision, or a dream. All of those are good, but they must rest on good doctrine. Come on, can I get an amen? Come on, is this helping you already? I know that, that, that maybe it's not as, um, as exciting as all the things I could, I could tell you, and we want to hear about being blessed, but hear me, blessing comes out of good doctrine. For if you are blessed but have no good doctrine, that blessing will become a God to you. This doctrine sets your feet on solid ground. It makes you unshakable. See, the problem is we reserve doctrine for pastors, professors, theologians, wise people that are better than us, no more than us. But hear me, we must, we must tear down the idea that only the experts can know the mind of God. You can know the mind of God because he shared it with you. He gave you his word. I pray that every Christian under the sound of my voice has a desire to have good doctrine, good teaching, to know what God speaks, and that we don't reserve it for the experts. See, the problem is, if only the experts get to speak, then they can so easily lead you astray. I, I won't go on with this, but listen, do you know why the Reformation was needed? It was because doctrine was left only to the experts. And now God had to come down and bring the word back to the people. And say, these are my words, these are my statutes, these are my commands, these are my teachings. And what came from the people getting good doctrine? The Renaissance came. A reawakening came. Churches burst forth. Religious fervor increased. Why? Because the people said, I want to know God. I want to see what he has to say for me. I want to live my life based on something rather than a once a week sermon. Hear me, you cannot base your relationship with Jesus on podcasts. You can't post, you can't base them on posts on social media. You cannot even base them just on the pastor's word. Check my words against the word. Let's have discussions and conversations, not being know-it-alls, but we want to know as much as we can. Come to the word of God and let the word of God begin to be your light in a storm, in a dark night, so that we are not unstable saints, like toddlers. Newborns that never know how to walk correctly. You ever see a newborn learning to walk? They're all over the place. They're reaching for their mom. They almost go back. Then they almost go forward. And you think, this kid's going down. 
I pray you don't walk through your spiritual life unstable all the time. Doctrine gives you a stability, a flow, and a grace. doesn't mean you know everything, but it begins to make your walk secure. Because you know God. When you read the word, you get the mind of God. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice because I hear him speak. I read his words. Here's my challenge to you today. Like Elijah said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Today is the day to leave the opinion of man and come to the solid doctrine, the set of beliefs, the values, and the teachings of the word of God. Today is the day, church, where you no longer are unstable like a toddler, waving between two opinions. I love that Elijah even says, how long will you limp between two opinions? There's weakness even in your movements. He's saying, choose and stand. It's what Joshua said, choose and stand. Jesus said, no man can have two, two masters. Choose and stand. I pray that you as a Christian choose. No. And stand. And James says, hey, do any of you lack wisdom? You know, the Bible says, my people perish due to lack of knowledge. James says, do any of you lack wisdom? Like, do you need help? Do you need to understand more of the word? Because I understand it's, it's sometimes difficult when you go to the word to begin to say, what is this saying? What does this mean? Thank God we live in an age where there's so many great resources, including awakeningyou.org. So many great resources for you to have conversations with people who, who know God and maybe are a little bit further down the line than you. But James gives us an incredible direction. He says, do any of you lack wisdom? Go to God. Ask God. But he clarifies in James 1, but he says, but let him ask in faith. Go to God. But he's telling us how to go to God. Don't walk up like that toddler. Come in faith. Come in expectation. Come, come in, 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 in a stable approach. Well, you might be saying, well, how do I get faith? I'm glad you asked. Paul lets us know in Romans, he says, so faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the word of God. Good doctrine produces real faith. Good doctrine, the word of God, the word of God's teachings applied, gives you stability. So now I can come to God. Because I've read his word, and I know his commandments, and I know his promises. You know God wants, God wants you to keep him to his promises. He gives you the word almost on the side. Just read this. Go ahead, read that. And then God comes up on the judge's chair, and he says, now does anyone have anything to say? And those of us that have the word of God, we can look down and say, well, it seems, Lord, that you have promised my family some, some things. And God's like, go ahead and name them before the court. Well, it seems that, God, you do promise my lineage to prosper. And God says, interesting. Approved. Why? Because you know the word of God. That's what brings stability. So therefore, go boldly before the throne of grace to find grace and mercy in your time of need. This is what doctrine produces in your life. This is what God's teaching. Come boldly. Look, James continues, and he says, Come with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You know anybody like that? They think one thing one day, something else the next. You argue with them on one side, they agree, they go away. The next day they come back, they're arguing the other side. There's no anchors to their emotions, no anchors to their way of thinking. James is saying, don't be like a small ship on top of a raging sea where you're all over the place depending on the elements or the circumstances. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. My hope is that you are not like this man James speaks about, but you are someone that pursues knowledge and wisdom. That you receive faith from God. That you come boldly before the throne of, of grace. And that you receive what you need. I believe too long the church has produced double-minded people. For too long, we have double-minded disciples. Unstable people. Unsure what to believe, how to believe, where to turn. I want you to hear me today. Doctrine defeats doubt. Doctrine defeats doubt, and it releases faith. Hearing so many people 
over and over saying the same thing about all that's going on in society. It's the same word. They say, I'm confused. I'm unsure. I'm double-minded. So what am I saying to you? Well, I'm saying the same thing that Joshua said, that Elijah said, that Jesus says, that the word of God says, choose today whom you will serve. The problem is, right now, there is a fight for your soul. And it is a fight between false ideology and good doctrine. False idolatry and good doctrine. What are you going to believe in? Is your life going to be founded on identitarianism? Is it going to be founded on political ideology? Hear me, is it going to be founded on church? Churchianity. Is it going to be founded on the idols that are falling before our very eyes? Fame, money, and fortune. Or is your life going to be founded on the word of God, his teachings, his love, his stability? What am I speaking about? I'm speaking about good doctrine. Is your life going to be founded on ideology? Or is it going to be founded on doctrine? And when it's founded on doctrine, do you bring your doubts and your fears and your unsurety to the word of God, and you allow God to speak through his word and his spirit and bring you into a place of faith. Come on, can you say amen? Can you say amen? Does that help you today? This is a, this is a stone that needs to be put in its proper place on your life, the stone of doctrine. The next stone that I want to speak to you about today is number nine. It's the stone of fellowship. The stone of fellowship. By the way, all of these stones are found out of the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42 today. They're all found out of that verse that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship. Now, I know fellowship's an old school word. I know it's a word that maybe you haven't heard since the 90s in church, but I'm going to go even older than that. I want to talk to you about the word koinonia. The word fellowship in this verse is translated in Greek as koinonia. But what's interesting about this, because we might think fellowship is just hanging out, friendship, good vibes, but it goes deeper. Do you know that koinonia has in its usages the meanings that fellowship means more? It means partnership. It means co contributory help. It means participation. So fellowship means partnership and participation. It's more than just hanging out. It's deeper than just gathering. So I want to speak about the gathering, but fellowship's even deeper than that. What does fellowship mean? It means that you're engaged. It means that you are active, that you are a part of all that God is doing. Let me read a verse to you in Hebrews. It says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us think about it. Let's consider how to stir each other up. That's what church is all about, to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. That's the key verse for everyone right now. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Because, see, it didn't start as a habit. It started just as, you know, neglecting. But that neglecting, once it was acted upon over and over, became a habit. So, so the writer of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, is saying, no, we're called to love and good works. That's active. And by the way, don't neglect to meet together. That's the foundation that produces the fellowship. Don't neglect, as that is the habit of some, because you can point to other examples. But as for you, you are called to come to the gathering. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, stirring each other up to love and good works, and choosing to gather will only get more difficult as the times draw closer to the end times. That's where this verse is so relevant to us today. Hear me. This is my point today. Church is about action, not merely attendance. Fellowship is about participation. It's about you being a contributor. My goal for our church, really for all Christians, but I'm speaking to Awakening right now, my goal is for our church to be engaged and active. An engaged church, an active church. We call that serving. That's what it means. You cannot have fellowship unless you are serving. You are involved. You're making a difference. 
Around here, we like to say we make it happen. There's no obstacle that could get in our way that is bigger than us and God. We're here to make it happen. Where do we get that vibe? Where do we get that belief? We get it from the fact that this is foundational, that God brought us into this fellowship, into this community. He brought us together for us to be engaged and active, not merely hearing a sermon, not merely hearing the word, not just to sit down and consume. We are not here for entertainment. We are here to engage. Just this week at our church, it's amazing to see all that happened. From one Sunday to this Sunday, it's incredible to see so many people serving actively, engaged in so many different areas. I'll just give you a quick, quick rundown. Just this week on Tuesday, we had over 35 volunteers show up here at our main campus at 9 in the morning and unload two massive tractor trailer loads full of food. We gave away uh, 2,300 boxes of food and milk. By the way, out of this, we launched a food pantry over the next five weeks, operating on Wednesday. It's just what we do, just kind of casually launching food pantries. So if you need food or if you have family members that need food, you can come on Wednesday. and We'll have the food pantry open at 7 o'clock, giving food away. It's amazing to see the impact of that. We not only gave food to people, we are becoming a wholesale distributor, just helping move the food through agencies, state agencies, through organizations. We gave food to different schools that are in desperate need of it. In fact, one principal was blown away by it, and they said, this is what all of this is about. We are blessing those that are reaching out to the community. We are blessing people and even other churches. One pastor spoke about the opportunity of We Heart Lives and all the food we were able to give. He spoke about it on Sunday, and a woman came up to him and, and, and got involved. She said, I was just praying. I literally don't have the ability to buy milk for my family, and here we showed up with milk and food and answered a prayer through a church that is not ours, that we've never even been to, and yet, because we are more than attenders, because we are active and we are engaged, God can use us to bless through us. And by the way, that was just Tuesday. On Wednesday, we gathered together. We had prayer going on. Every Wednesday over the past, I don't know, six months, we have so many different creatives that show up. Over 40 plus show up every Wednesday. And they set the cameras and get the lighting right. And the worship team comes together and they practice and they film and the hosts all preparing for this online stream every single Wednesday so we can bring the word of God directly to you. On Thursday, we gave out even more food because God opened another door and we got another 2,200 boxes of food and milk for churches and schools and nonprofits. If you're keeping track, that's over 4,000 boxes of food, four tractor trailer loads full of food that God is bringing through us. Why? Because we say, God, we want to be active. We want to be engaged. We want to be here. Not to speak just about Friday, the food we're giving away there on Saturday. Not, not, I, I, I haven't even mentioned the crews that are going on. I haven't even mentioned the different people serving. What about on Sunday? Today, we are going to have hundreds of volunteers serving on-site here in Rhode Island, but also serving online. I want to shout out all the moderators every week that you are having conversations, you're praying for people, those that are in our Facebook global group, and you're communicating, and you're being a part of it. I want you to know it's because of you we're able to show Jesus to the whole world. I'm so thankful for all those that gave their time and their effort to make the prayer app that we have, because so many are in desperate need, and they're going on there, they're posting their prayer. we got a prayer team that's praying for them right through our prayer app. I'm thankful for awakening you. We have hundreds of classes, hours and hours of what? Good doctrine. Why am I saying all this? I'm saying this because I deeply believe that we are called to do more than listen to sermons. We're called to live out the Word of God called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And in a day and hour like today, our action is needed more than almost anything else. Our faith applied. My dad's, one of my favorite illustrations I have from my dad is when he says church is more like a, it's a huddle. Sunday service is a huddle. 
But game time is during the week. On Sunday, we get together to receive our instructions. But this isn't the goal. This isn't the point. It's the week that shows our faith. I pray that you activate your faith in a brand new way. And I believe that you will find fulfillment to it. Why? Because your faith was designed to be put into action. Not merely for the benefit of yourself. And I do want to note this as well. I do believe an essential element of church is the gathering of the saints. If you read the Old Testament, it's amazing how many of the miracles happened when many people were to gather together. I was reading the book of Acts today, and I noticed this phrase that stuck out to me. The Bible says, and they were all gathered together in one place. That was the initiation for the Holy Spirit coming down among them. There is something about the gathering together that calls on the Holy Spirit. Can you feel the Holy Spirit through the screen? I'm sure you can. Can you feel it alone? 100%. And I pray you practice that presence. But can I tell you, there is something supernatural. Miracles happen. God's presence begins to indwell in another level when the saints gather together for the purpose of glorifying God. So we believe strongly that church is essential, that gathering is essential. And I got good news. Next Sunday, we're coming back indoors. Sunday at 9.15 and 11 o'clock, we are launching Sunday morning service back on the inside. And if you are in Rhode Island, I hope you come out. I promise you, it's, it's much, much safer than Trader Joe's. I give you my solemn promise. But there's just something powerful. And the enemy would do anything to keep you out of the gathering of those that will bring you close to God. Number 10. Number 10, the next essential that we need to put in its place might sound funny at first, but I think it's so powerful, is the essential stone of friendship. I want to read this verse to you out of the book of John. Jesus is speaking, and he says, A new commandment I give you, the one that gave the ten original commandments, he gets to give the new one. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. He modeled it. You also are to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Here's God's plan. God's overarching eternal plan is restoration of relationships. From the beginning of time until now, from the beginning until the end, God's whole plan, his destiny for us, his purpose for us is to be in relationship with him. Of course, Adam and Eve, they broke that plan. I'm like, day one, they screwed everything up real quick. But in that moment, God began to work tirelessly through generations to bring his people back to himself. God's plan is relationship. More than that, it's friendship. God and man, friendship. God and you, friendship. And more than that, one to another. Friendship. God wanted more than us putting up with each other, being cold, distant, dealing with each other. God wanted there to be relationship, fun, friendship, forgiveness, understanding in the midst of disagreement, relationship. It's essential for your living. It's essential for your worship. The Bible even says if you're bringing an offering and you've got something against someone and they got something against you, leave that offering there and go make it right. That's a difficult teaching. It's almost as if God's saying, I want you to have an emphasis in your life to the best of your ability on forgiveness, on love, on relationship. Think about when Jesus called his disciples. One of the first things Jesus did in his ministry was he assembled a crew. By the way, this is why we believe crews are so powerful. You know them as the disciples, the apostles. But really, they were Jesus' crew. One of the first things he began to do before the miracles, before the Sermon on the Mount, from before the, the highlight moments, what does he do but choose some people to come join him on the journey? He gets a small group of people together. He chooses Peter, chooses James. And do you remember the call that he gives out? He says, come, follow me. It's the call of a master to a teacher. Come, follow me. It's the call into discipleship. 
It's a call into adventure. It's a call into trust and reliance. Because he didn't tell them where they were going. He didn't tell them what they were even fully signing up for. He's just saying, come and trust me. Come and walk with me. I want you to know God calls you. Even when you don't know all that's coming, I want you to know he does know your past and he knows your future. And his call to you is just come follow me. Trust me. Throw the old away. I love the Bible. It says they left their nets right where they were. They dropped them and they moved into a new existence that God had for them. Come follow me. But do you know that three and a half years later at the Last Supper, this pinnacle moment, of Jesus' ministry, he looks around at those that he initially called to follow him. And you know what he says? He says, I no longer call you servants. Certainly we are servants. Because we are not greater than our master. Certainly we don't deserve to be anything other than servants. Just that, that mere possibility of serving God is amazing. But he says, I no longer call you servants. He says, I call you friends. It's a friend that lays down his life for another. He moved them from the position of servant into the place of friendship. Why? Because that's what God always came here to do. I no longer call you a servant, but a friend. Abraham was a friend with God. His disciples became friends with God, and you can become a friend with God. That was Jesus' model. He showed us what it should look like. His model was a trusted circle, plus the presence of Jesus over time could create lasting friendships. I would even say eternal friendships, by the way. This is why the enemy wants to attack your faith-filled friendships, because he wants to move you away from those that will bring you closer to Jesus. It's why the enemy wants you to set your friendships on a fickle foundation, foolish foundation. And any friendship that's not founded on God is founded on, a sift, on sifting sands. But when you found it on God, you can disagree about things. Not see eye to eye, but your foundation is the eternal one who saved you both. And that, that's what can pull you together. Ecclesiastes says, for if they fall... One will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I hope you join and you're a part of the crews at our church. The reason is because Jesus had a crew and Peter needed a crew because Peter fell. Thank God he wasn't alone, that he had a crew around him to lift him up in that moment that could have been his last. He could have gone the route of Judas but because he was interconnected with the people of God, he was able to be lifted up by the people of God. I tell you, there's nothing like the church to establish faith-filled friendships. They happen in serving. They happen on Sunday. They happen with our children. There's just something about friendship and faith that are interconnected. I don't quite know what it is. It's mysterious. But there's just something about friendship and faith that go together. And that you need both. You need friendship with faith-filled people. It's just how God works it together. And Sometimes when your faith falters, you just keep coming to church just because of friendship. And God's like, I'll take that for now. I'll take that for now. Sometimes you're only showing up because you miss everybody. But God says, that's good, but I'm going to bring a word. I'm going to bring a word right into your life and bring restoration. I think as parents, more than anywhere else, your children need to be in the house of God. Before soccer, before kindergarten, with a bunch of, with a bunch of um, people that want to lead your children down strange paths. And there will come a day where your kids will not listen to you. I know this is baffling. Your parents are like, they already don't listen to me. There will come a day where they're not asking your opinion. They think you're wrong about everything in that day. You're going to need for them to have previously established friendship with faith-filled people. Because they are going to ask someone's opinion. And I hope it's not the kids they're playing soccer with. I hope it's not the kids that they grew up with in school, that, foundation, uh, that their foundation is on foolishness. Let it be on those whose foundation is the Lord.
The stone of friendship has to be put in its proper place, friendship with God and friendship with man. And by the way, if your friendships are under attack right now, maybe understand because those are the people that God put in your life to help you through this very critical and uncomfortable, difficult hour. Don't let your friendships fall because of a Facebook post, especially if they're faith-filled and eternal. Dedicate them back to God. Humble yourself. Agree to disagree. Talk about Jesus and let God begin to reconcile you two together. Two more, two more. I want to speak to you about prayer, the foundation stone of prayer. Oh, I got so much to say about the next two. I, I think that, you know, there's so much here. I could preach a whole sermon on each and every one of these topics. I know that I will probably do an Awakening You course on these because I do believe they are the essentials of life, ministry, and faith. But I want to speak to you about prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says this, pray constantly. Continue in prayer. Always be about prayer. See, I, I, I want to make this simple point. I hope with this church and with your life that you go from praying to prayerful. We all sometimes feel like, oh, I know, I got to pray. I got to pray. It's good to pray. Prayer is good. But we don't have a prayerful existence. I hope you can move from praying at church, at the dinner table, here and there, when you forget your keys, into a prayerful existence. It's the difference between knowing of and knowing intimately. It's the difference between acquaintance and friendship. Prayerfulness will bring you close to who God is. Hear me. I pray that your mode of prayer is to constantly consult God. Constantly. About little things and big things. About the important and the mundane. That's what prayer should all be about. You might say, I don't know how to pray. Well, it teaches you how to pray in the Bible. Jesus will teach you how to pray. But start with consulting. Ask his opinion about things and give time for the answer. Look at what it says in the Word of God in Philippians. It says, don't worry about anything. Don't be filled with anxiety. But pray about everything. About everything. And don't let anyone feel, make you feel weird about praying about everything. They might want, people might make fun of you. You pray for a parking spot as if the sacred and divine needs to give you a good parking spot. I don't know what to tell you, but Philippians says pray about everything. I'm going to pray about the parking spot. I'm going to pray about my job. I'm going to pray about my kids. I'm going to pray about my church. I might pray about where to go to lunch. What's the big deal? Maybe God knows some stuff about lunch that I don't know. Him being divine and me being an idiot. Pray about <laughs> everything. I'm getting on a rant. I'm getting off there. Don't worry about everything because, see, that's everyone else's default mode. See, worry is prayer to a false god. Worry is prayer to self or in circumstance. You're worried. It's amazing. People might say, well, you're going to pray about everything. Well, you worry about everything. You're filled with anxiety about everything. God says, flip it. Come before the throne that is wide open. Come on, pray with thankful hearts. Offer up your prayers and requests to God. Then because, uh, then because you belong to Christ Jesus, this verse only gets better, God will bless you with peace. Isn't that what everyone needs right now? Peace that no one can completely even understand. Peace that surpasses understanding. You can't logically get to where prayer will bring you. I'll say it again. You can't logically get to where prayer will bring you. Pray that God will bring you peace that no one completely understands, and this peace will control the way you think and the way you feel. Prayer can become a state of being. There's a great book called The Practice of the Presence by Brother Lawrence. He's a monk lived in hundreds of years ago, and he wrote this incredible, really a small book on prayer. He says this. He says, The time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. He's saying, The time of business does not differ from me from the time of prayer. You might be a businessman, a businesswoman. You might be a busy, busy mom that has kids coming in and constantly needing you, an upside-down house. Practice the presence of God. This is where you need to move from being a prayer to prayerful. 
And you can integrate it in your life. Pursue an atmosphere of prayer. And let me tell you this. When you pursue an atmosphere of prayer, it will always lead you to holiness. Sometimes we talk about holiness as if it's a thing that we should will ourselves to. Come on, man. Come on, be holy. Come on, get rid of the world. Come on, a little leaven. Leaven's a whole lot. Just these Christian cliches. Come on. Come on, try harder. Come on, have another experience. Go to the altar again. And I do think you should go to the altar again. Have more conferences. Come on, holy. But holy is not a moment. It's a lifestyle. And I believe holiness is the natural outpouring from a prayerful life. Because when you begin to be prayerful, you get an atmosphere of prayer around you. And you will begin to not want to do anything to violate that atmosphere. When you bring the sacred... When you, sorry, when you bring the secular into the sacred, it violates that atmosphere. It violates your conscience and your heart. It grieves the Holy Spirit. But when you now begin to choose, I don't want to grieve. I don't want to feel that. I want to maintain my connection with God. That will naturally begin to bring you to holiness. Hear me, if anything violates your conscience or convicts your heart, remove it from your life. So that your life can become prayerful. So that you can receive the blessings from God. And your thinking and your ways will be filled with peace and filled with direction. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will tell you, turn that off. Don't listen to that right now. You might think, what's wrong? It's not the worst. Nothing. Sometimes you don't even understand what's happening. The Holy Spirit will wake you up. And you think, the number one thing I want to do is go back to bed. But maybe the Holy Spirit's saying, you need to pray right now. You say, well, I don't know why. I understand. Again, finite. You're finite. Just because you don't understand doesn't mean God's not calling you to it. There might be a movie that God says, I just don't want it. You don't know what the author of that book is. You don't know what the intention of that speaker is. You don't know what the spirit on that music is. You say, Jordan, you get legal, you're getting legalistic. Certainly not. I'm asking for you to listen to the Holy Spirit. Be attuned to his voice. And follow when he speaks. Follow when he speaks. And I'm telling you, your life will begin to move from a place of anxiety to a place of rest, peacefulness. Think about it, the disciples, seeing Jesus working in amazing ways. They didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to preach or perform miracles. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They understood the source of his power and strength was his prayer life, his secret prayer life. And of all the things they could have asked, Elijah, uh, uh, Elisha asked for a double portion. Solomon asked for wisdom. But when the disciples saw God in action, they asked for him to teach them how to pray. I believe if we could learn to pray more, we could accomplish more. Too busy not to pray. Our church right now, we're praying through this season. 300 people are signed up, part of the Sentinel Project. We're praying. We're fasting. Got worship nights on Sunday night, praying Tuesday morning, praying Wednesday night. My goal is that we, as a church, will move from praying to prayerful. And we will engage in prayer first and foremost. We even have the app. I tell you, we're going to build around the app. Because I believe that if we could pray more, God could do more through us. Prayer is an essential that will help build the altar of your life that God will accept your worship. One last one. One last stone that I believe needs to be put in its proper place is the stone of love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, um, says this. I think we have that. We should reverse it on the TV. But. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. After speaking about love, the Apostle Paul narrows in. He says, let me tell you about things that will remain. Faith, hope, hope that is anchored beyond the veil, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the capstone of creation. Jesus, the cornerstone. But love is the capstone. If you look at the great monuments in Egypt, if you look at the pyramids, you see that many of them, most of them, are missing their capstones. They have these incredible edifices built. No one really knows by who or why. All the research we've done, 
One thing we do know is after having done it all, the final piece is missing. They theorized that the capstones were gold or, or, or marble to reflect the, stun, the sun to extreme distances, that coming up to it would look like the pyramids themselves were on fire, stunning. And, and yet when you get to the top of the pyramids, as many have climbed it, you'll find, you'll find a flat surface. It's missing the capstone, that final element that brings it all together. I'm here to tell you, the capstone of creation is love. If you have good doctrine, if you have right walk, prayer, if you have faith, the ability to do miracles, but you have not love, you're like a resounding gong, clanging cymbals. If you could raise people from the dead, prophesy into people's lives, but you have not love, you're missing it. You're missing it all. It is love that motivated God to come after us. For God so loved the world. You can't just describe God's love as love. It's so love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was love that motivated God to redeem his creation so that relationship could be reintegrated between God and man. What was it? that brought God out of heaven into earth so that one day you may leave earth and enter into heaven. It was love. Love is a divine motivator that moves God towards mankind. And Jesus, who was the son that God sent in his great act of sacrifice on the cross, muttered these words, it is finished. See, love is the capstone of creation. What God began in the beginning was finished by Jesus in love. It was the sacrifice of love on the cross that finished the work of creation that God began. Our design is incomplete without God's love. Receiving it, expressing it, the purpose was fulfilled by it. By this, Jesus said, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The Bible says in the end times, the love of many will grow cold, distant. But if we don't allow that to happen to us, we will reflect the glory of God into earth. The Bible says that no greater love is this, that a man lay his life down for his friends. I no longer call you servants but friends. And because of that, because of God's wonderful love, he restored relationship with us, open communication to us. I pray that love is what leaks out of this church, spurs us to serve, forgive, reflect Jesus Christ. I pray that love is the consequence of all that we have built Rebuilt with the altar of our lives. So here are the 12 foundation stones. Jesus, his spirit, his word. Creation, life, marriage, family. And today, doctrine, fellowship, friendship, prayer, and love. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.